the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WHK Cleveland. The following program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning. Welcome to Get Rich Flow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Flow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Flow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and CIVIC. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of that Next Financial Group. Good morning. The sun is shining, and it's a beautiful summer day. The spring is over. Hey, the summer started uh, uh, this last Tuesday. Where did the time go? Hey, we've been all so busy, we've lost track of it. But everyone seems to be looking forward to enjoying the summer. Yeah, with the COVID uh, over now, everybody is traveling or heading off for those vacations that we missed for the past two years. You know, I was just out for a trip to the West Coast for my uh, granddaughter's uh, graduation from college. And uh, to me... Uh, the airports were full, the airlines, airplanes were full, restaurants were full, everything, people are out and about. And now the kids are heading off to the camps, you know, the Boy Scout, the Girl Scout, and off to visit Grandmom's house. And of course, the temperatures are going up, but yeah, there's nothing you can do about the weather except complain, and that doesn't do any good. But hey, look at the, look at the bright side. We're not going to melt. So let's get outside and enjoy the rest of the summer. Now I'm realizing that it's almost July. <clears throat> Where did this summer go? <laughs> the summer 
is moving quickly, and we have to use the rest of it, uh, you know, wisely. This is particularly true if we look at the outside jobs. And uh, the outside jobs that require good weather, like replacing windows or uh, replacing the roof and things of this nature, if you don't have the contractors scheduled now, they might not get started until late in the fall. Uh, then it will be a touch and go with the winter weather. So, uh, you know, we have uh, a better plan. We better do, uh, you know, start making plans for these jobs and get the ball rolling. And uh, then we can get down to enjoying the summer activities like uh, traveling, visiting the children, the grandchildren, tending the gardens. And just making ourselves useful around the house. And along the way, we might even uh, spend some time reviewing what's happening in the world. And that's how, how that's affecting our investment. <clears throat> this week, global equities were up. In the U.S., the three major stock indices were up big time after being down 10 of the preceding 11 weeks. Uh, while in the UK, the FTSE 100 was up, and in the European Union, the stock uh, Europe 600 was up, and uh, that's even as Europe grapples with this uh, with the Russians over the natural gas supplies. You know they're negotiating, and they're never you never were dealing with the Russians. You never know what's going to happen. In Asia, Japan's Nikkei 225 was up in China's Shanghai Composite and Hong Kong Tengxing were both up for the week. So on Friday, the three major U.S. stock indices closed at the Dow Jones at 31,500.68. That was up 5.39% for the week. The Standard & Poor 500 closed at 3,911.74. That was up 6.45% for the week. And the NASDAQ uh, composite closed at 11,607.62, and that was up 7.49% for the week. Now, those are, those are good numbers for the week, but we're still, uh, we've been falling and falling and falling ever since January 1st. So we are still in a bear market, and uh, so enjoy it while we can. Uh, until we get out of this thing. Most of the credit for this rally, this week's rally, has to go to uh, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. You know, in testimony before Congress, he said that engineering a soft landing has been uh, very challenging and, and suggesting that uh, uh, getting inflation under control it may even lead to a recession. So, I think he did a good job in presenting uh, the details and walking us through uh, the um, the plan, and also uh, uh, you know pointing to the uh, uncertainties around the plan that uh, there, we don't have full control over uh, the circumstances. We have this uh, COVID situation in China where they shut the whole place down. Uh, shut down 30 million people in a crack. And you also got this uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is playing hell with the uh, oil prices as well as the uh, food, the grains and things of that nature. And, but he did uh, explain it, and he, and he said, hey, this is how we got to 8.6% inflation, 
And Mrs. Al will basically try to get out of it. And they basically explained that the, the economy was basically too hot, you know, basically due to the stimulus. You know, the federal government poured $6 trillion into the economy, and the Federal Reserve threw $3 trillion into the economy. That was because of the COVID uh, the pandemic that started in February of 2020. And uh, so now we have a, a good economy and a tight labor market and companies and people are making money and spending money and even they... Uh, in the first quarter, the uh, corporate earnings for the Standard and Poor 500 companies that went up, uh, I think, 8% above the first quarter of last year. So companies are making money, people are making money, but we've got 8.6% inflation. And the idea here is that we don't get it under control. <clears throat> We're going to end up with a real mess, and, uh, and it's going to be a case of nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. So. Uh, it has to be controlled, and uh, what the Federal Reserve's plan is to slow the economy down by raising the interest rates. That's part of the plan, and uh, that has already affected home construction and home sales. And uh, you're seeing the unemployment go up a little bit, but the employment situation has been so tight that it's barely discernible. And uh, and the other thing they're going to do besides raising the interest rates is to uh, start to pull money out of the economy by selling bonds. Uh, they started selling, uh, uh, I think it's for $47.5 billion worth of bonds uh, for uh, June, July, and August. And then uh, that uh, the 47 jumps up to 95. Uh, for, uh, starting in September and continues on uh, the rest of this year and perhaps next year, too. So they're going to try to suck the money out of the economy and slow down the economy with regard to the uh, uh, increased interest rates to, to uh, reduce the demand and allow the demand to get uh, into more into better equilibrium with the supply. Now, <clears throat> That's, that's, that says that that assumes that the supply is going to improve. And uh, looking at the, the COVID in China, you know, where they shut down uh, 30 million or uh, million people at a time, I'm not quite sure the, the supply chains are improving. But in in you know you have to look around and sporadically they are improving. And of course you've got you still have the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and uh, that's uh, uh, turning the oil situation and the, the grain situation on its head. So, at least in the, over the last week, the oil situation has gone down from 120 to I don't know what the West uh, West Texas Intermediate is, but it should be less than uh, I think it's about 100 and, uh, less than 110 dollars a barrel. So that's gone down, as well as copper and other commodities. So uh, basically what you're seeing is that the, uh, they laid out a plan, and, uh, and uh, basically the stocks have been going down because of fear that the Federal Reserve is going to slow the economy and push it into a recession. And a lot of that comes from our experience in, uh, you know, the 
the late 70s, in uh, 1970, in 19, through the 70s and up to 1981, uh, inflation was rolling along for that 10-year period. It was well entrenched. And at that particular time, Paul Volcker, who was the head of the Federal Reserve, uh, conquered inflation by raising the overnight or Fed funds rate up to 20%, which meant he just basically stopped the whole economy at that point. Of course, there was a bad, a bad recession, but it ended up uh, conquering inflation for 40 years. Uh, we're not approaching anything like that in this particular exercise. Uh, most of the Federal Reserve is planning on doing in terms of the interest rate is pushing it up to about, originally they said about uh, 3%, the overnight rate, 3% by the end of the year. But there are any real stories about, well, <clears throat> they increased it three quarters of a percent in June. That took it up to, uh, uh, what did it take it up to? Um, 1.75%. Uh, and then they're going to add another three quarters of a percent in August. And that'll bring it up to two and a half percent by the start of September, and then that gives you three more uh, meetings of the Federal Open Market Committee uh, group to move it maybe another one and a half percent. So here we're talking about maybe three, 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 three and a half percent by the end of the year, about twenty percent. So to me, it's a matter of slowing the economy down. And also, in this particular uh, uh, correction, uh, we had both the uh, stocks going down as well as the bonds going down. And the bonds are going down because the interest rates are going up. In other words, it's that old seesaw. Whenever the uh, interest rates go up, the value of the bonds goes down. So this is why you're getting whacked from both sides. You're getting whacked. The losses in the bond funds as well as the losses in the uh, in the stock fund. But uh, so he explained it, <clears throat> and I think it had a good effect on the uh, stock market. Uh, economically, uh, uh, the picture seems to be evolving. The economy seems to be slowing down, maybe faster, somewhat faster than planned. Uh, equities have been under pressure. Uh, thinking that the Federal Reserve is going to cause an inf- a recession, and uh, uh, but uh, uh, economic data uh, seemed to have uh, uh, propelled a modest recovery in the market. It's almost like the the bad news is considered as actually good news. For instance, the Standard and Poor uh, Global Manufacturing and Service. Purchasing Managers Index for June, that came out Thursday, and that basically it measures activity in the U.S. manufacturing and service industries, and it fell to a five-month low. So, you know, we've been looking at manufacturing and service industries as growing, but now we're seeing that hey, it's stopped growing, and it's, well, it's growing, but it's it's growing at a, at a much reduced rate, and that shows that the economic activity cooling, uh, which basically is uh, necessary to cool inflation down, and it's the expectation that the new uh, below-trend growth 
with a slowing economy will allow the rebalancing of the economy and the labor market, and the ultimate uh, goal is to bring inflation down. For example, the chief business economist at the Standard and Poor uh, Global Global Market Intelligence uh, Group said that, quote, the pace of the U.S. economic growth has slowed sharply in June with deteriorating forward-looking indicators setting the scene for an economic contraction in the third quarter. The survey data are consistent with the economy expanding at an annualized rate of less than 1% in June, with the goods-producing sector already in decline and the vast uh, service sector slowing sharply. So we'll get into the actual details later in the show with regard to that report. Uh, There's also other indicators of a slowdown. For example, in the National Association of Realtors, uh, with regard to the existing home sales, declined uh, uh, for the fourth uh, straight month. Uh, Sales in uh, May were down 3.4% from April, down 8.6% from May a year earlier. So all of the, the slowdown in the the home sales as well as the home new home construction industry is basically due to the rising of the uh, mortgage rates. In other words, a year ago, uh, people were enjoying three uh, percent uh, rates for a thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage, and now those rates are up to five point eight percent, and uh, they'll probably be over six percent by the end of the year. So. Uh, doubling the uh, 30-year mortgage is having a big impact on the housing industries, both in new construction as well as uh, uh, home sales. And you're seeing it throughout the uh, throughout the business world too. In other words, basically, businesses uh, uh, in terms of expanding a business, you take a look at the capital expenditures, or you're going to Put money, put money and investments into building a new factory or a new production line. And uh, so the finance people will go through their projections in terms of saying, well, uh, we expect to borrow at this rate and we expect to pay back at this rate and we expect to, uh, this new uh, capital expenditure to yield so much in terms of profits and whatever. Uh, we'll have this thing paid back in seven years or something like that. You know, that's the projections they make to the, um, you know, the board, the corporate board. And the corporate board says, okay, go ahead and uh, do it or not. Well, what you're seeing is that the raising of the interest rates, the payback periods are expanding, and it basically boils down to now, okay, let's shell that one until until uh, interest rates improve. So it's slowing down uh, capital expenditures all throughout the uh, industries. And uh, and we'll talk about that later in the show, too. In addition, uh, the University of Michigan, they, they come out with their uh, consumer sentiment uh, survey. And uh, uh, what the University of Michigan's final June reading on uh, longer-term U.S. consumer inflation expectations, uh, uh, they also indicated that the consumers are seeing, uh, projecting 
that the long-term inflation uh, will be 3.1% rather than what they projected just two weeks ago as 3.3%. So uh, people are seeing, uh, taking into account that, that uh, what that what's going to happen with inflation. And uh, uh, we'll talk about that later in the show, too. One important point is that, uh, you know, consumers, uh, uh, one point that they make in the University of Michigan report is, quote, consumers across income, age, education, uh, geographic areas, political affiliations, stockholding, and home ownership status all posted large declines in sentiment. So about close to 80% of the consumers expect bad times in the year ahead for business conditions. So this inflation is wearing on people in terms of uh, their expectations for the future. And uh, uh, one of the things that they're seeing is that um, uh, the thing that inflation will come down. Um, basically, you know, uh, how much additional tightening will be uh, required depends upon uh, uh, a lot of factors that uh, the Federal Reserve controls some of those factors. But other things, uh, it doesn't really control, like the speed and the magnitude of the supply chain recovery, you know, what's happening in the supply chain. If you look at it, overall, the supply chain uh, is recovering, but it's spotty. If you look at certain aspects of it, uh, the chip manufacturing and things of this nature, uh, you wonder how the hell, how we ever got into it the situation that we're in right now with regard to putting all the chip manufacturing somewhere over in Taiwan. And uh, so to me, that like also the duration of the war in the Ukraine, uh, also with regard to the willingness of individuals who basically left the uh, labor market, uh, their uh, willingness to return to the labor market. So uh, with the federal funds, with the Federal Reserve continuing to raise the uh, federal funds rate aggressively this year because of the strong balance sheets. People expect that the strong balance sheets of the consumer and the corporation and, you know, the economy will decelerate and slow down. And as the economy grows at a slower rate, then uh, what you expect to see is inflation will fall. And this will also allow the, uh, the supply chains uh, to improve. So uh, we're starting to see, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about uh, in the show the, the other things that it indicate uh, retail sales and things of this nature are, things are just slowing down. And uh, people are making those decisions. You know, you're, you're looking at the, the, uh, paycheck and you're looking at the cost of gasoline and the cost of fuel and other things that maybe we spend and that uh, if these prices go up then we have less to spend on other quote luxuries or uh, other things so and that's both true of uh, of the consumers as well as the corporations so uh, you know it, it's uh, it's something that we'll get through, and thank God we've got uh, 
uh, we were in a good position going into this in terms of jobs and and uh, earnings and all the rest of the stuff. So uh, it's something that you know that you talk about the big picture, or call it not the big picture, the macro economic picture, what's going on, but. Uh, uh, one of the things we're grappling with right now is the micro picture. In other words, uh, how is this uh, downturn? How is this inflation? How is this uh, uh, things that the Federal Reserve and the government are doing to conquer inflation? How's that affecting our planning? So, and it does affect, you know, we put together a plan and we talk about goals and, you know, and then lay it out in terms of, uh, 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 all our goals, uh, the young the young people, it's cars and apartments. Uh, then we talk about the marriage and starting a family and then buying a house and the standard of living for the family and things of this nature, the education of the children, and basically retirement then. So how do we allocate this thing? We allocate it basically if you're a 25-year-old looking for an apartment and a car versus your... Uh, 65 year old, 65 years old, and they're looking forward to retirement. And then you're 85 or 95 years old. And, uh, uh, it, it, there's a long span to this plan. And what you see in this uh, case of the inflation right now, it's impacting the plan. But you have to realize that this plan, even if you're uh, in your 50s and 60s, uh, you might think that you, you only have a shorter period of time, but you do have a longer period of time than you think you do uh, to uh, have this thing correct itself and get back on to uh, getting the investment returns that you need to support these plans. So it all falls down into your personal micro plan and allocating income to make the future goals uh, tracking the uh, investment returns, investing the, uh, in the right things. Uh, what's the right things right now? Well, the bonds are, are <laughs> bonds are, are not paying. They're, they're losing money because uh, basically, as the interest rates go up, the bond prices go down, and of course, the uh, you know when we heard. Uh, that term that Greenspan used years and years ago, uh, irrational exuberance, meaning that uh, people were perhaps uh, valuing uh, uh, equities more than they really should. Well, now we're in the, in the point of irrational fear where we're devaluing and looking at the worst case. And, and basically, uh, we'll get through it. We've gotten through it before. So, uh, We'll do it again. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call. Uh, we have a toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. The number is 1-888-281-1110. Give me a call, and we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. So this is Jim McAleese. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week, we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. 
That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. Um, you know, what we've been seeing is that the Federal Reserve has been talking about inflation and pushing inflation down by slowing the economy. And uh, we heard about it, we heard about it, we heard about it since uh, uh, their December meeting, December of 2021. And uh, now what we're seeing is the economy is slowing down. Uh, I mentioned earlier about this uh, Standard and Poor Global um, Purchasing Managers Index, you know, where they they talk to the managers in the field and get a feel for how things are going. And uh, just to give you a feel for the uh, manufacturing side of it, uh, at uh, the, the mark that they give it, uh, they, they come up with a mark of, uh, around 50, 50 indicates uh, uh, neutral, neutrality, and uh, above 50 indicates that the uh, economy is expanding. Below 50 means that it's contracting. But uh, basically, the the results show for June that the uh, the economy is still expanding, but uh, it's having trouble. You know. For manufacturing at uh, 52.4 in June was down from 57.0 in May. Uh, indicates a slower improvement in operating conditions across the goods producing sector. Uh, declines in production and new sales are driven by weak client demand as inflation, material shortages, and delivery delays led some customers to pause or to lower their purchase of goods. The falls were the first since the depth of the uh, pandemic in the mid-2020 and were accompanied by renewed decreases in foreign client demand. Um, foreign client demand is reductions are probably due to the strength of the U.S. dollar. It's costing them more. U.S. goods are costing more to the foreigners. And the, uh, the average cost burdens continue to rise substantially and a historically elevated pace in June. Uh, with regard to the service sector, uh, the SPA, S&P Global says that uh, at 51.6 in June, they were down from 53.4 in May. Uh, that signaled another softening of the rate of uh, output expansion and service providers 
The pace of increase was the slowest since January's uh, Omicron-induced slowdown and only modest overall. Weaker growth in business activity was driven by a solid fall in new orders. Clients' demand dropped for the first time since July of 2020 and at the steepest pace for over two years. Total new sales were also weighed down by the quickest decrease in the new export orders since December of 2020. Again, it mentioned that the average cost burdens increased at a marked pace in June as suppliers, materials, uh, as, uh, fuel, transportation, and wage bills soared again. So, um, although firms continue to pass through the hikes in cost to clients, some mentioned uh, concessions being made to the uh, customers. In other words, it's harder to get these increases through. Uh, service providers signal a notable change in pressure on capacity during June as backlogs of work fell for the first time in two years. As a result, the rate of job creation eased to the slowest and the softest in four months. So uh, their chief economist, Chris Williamson, who was their uh, uh, chief economist for S&P Global Market Intelligence, uh, quote, the pace of U.S. economic growth has slowed sharply in June with deteriorating forward-looking indicators setting the scene for an economic contraction in the third quarter. The survey data was consistent with the economy expanding at an annualized rate of less than 1% in June, uh, with the goods-producing sector already in decline and the vast service sector slowing sharply. Uh, He continues, having enjoyed a mini-boom from consumers returning after the relaxation of the pandemic restrictions, uh, many service firms are now seeing households increasingly struggle with the rising cost of living, with producers of non-essential goods seeing a similar drop in orders. Uh, There has consequently been a remarkable drop in the demand for goods and services during June compared to the prior months. Businesses have become much more concerned about the outlook as a result of the rising cost of living and uh, drop in demand, as well as the increasingly aggressive interest uh, rate path outlined with the Federal Reserve and the deterioration in broader financial conditions. Business confidence is now at a level uh, which would typically herald an economic downturn adding to the risk of a recession. A corollary of the drop in demand is less pressure on prices with the survey inflation gauges for firms' costs and their selling prices falling sharply in June to suggest that although still elevated, price uh, pressures have peaked. So there's a there's an indication that uh, things are slowing down in uh, in terms of uh, industry, in terms of both manufacturing, and uh, uh, we'll talk about that later, too, in terms of industrial production. And uh, uh, also we see information from the uh, University of Michigan's uh, consumer sentiment uh, study 
that uh, really shows that the consumers are in, they're really bummed out. <laughs> totally bummed out. Uh, final results for June show that it, it, it got, about two weeks ago, they came up with their uh, preliminary results for June, which showed it at 50.2, and, uh, and now it's gone down to 50.0. And in that's the final June number. The final May number was 58.4. And if you look back over a year ago to June of 2021, the consumer sentiment was 85.5. So we've been, the uh, consumer has really um, uh, becoming, is becoming much more, uh, it, much more despair here than anything else. Uh, if you break that uh, consumer sentiment down into two pieces, one is the current economic conditions, and uh, like right now, and the other one is the uh, index of consumer expectations, which means, hey, look, let's look out for anything from here to five years. What you're seeing is that the immediate one, when it fell from 63.3, in May to 53.8 in June, and uh, the uh, uh, expectations won the long-term or longer-term one went from 55.2 to 47.5, and uh, both of those numbers are comparable to June of a year ago when the numbers were something like 85 or 88. So. Uh, the uh, director of the survey, uh, Joanne Hsu, um, here's her comment uh, verbatim. Quote, the final June reading confirmed that the early the June decline in consumer sentiment uh, settling 0.2 index points below the preliminary reading at 14.4% below May uh, for the lowest uh, for the lowest reading on record, uh, consumers across income, age, education, geographic region, uh, political affiliation, stockholding, and householding status are all posted declines. About 79% of consumers expected bad times in the year ahead for business conditions and uh, that was the highest since 2009. Inflation continues to be a paramount concern to consumers. 47% of consumers blamed inflation for eroding their living standard, just one point shy of the all-time high reached last during the Great Recession. Uh, uh, since the preliminary readings, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by three quarters of one percent, a basis points exceeding the fifty basis point hike that had been previously telegraphed. The final June reading uh, of the median expected year ahead inflation uh, rate was five point three percent, and there's little change from the mid month or the preceding uh, or the median expected uh, ahead. Inflation, uh, in contrast, long-run expectations uh, receded from its mid-month 
reading of 3.3% and settled at 3.1% back within the the 29 to 3.1% range seen in the past 10 months. Consumers also expressed the highest level of uncertainty over long-run inflation since 1991, continuing a sharp increase uh, that began in 2021. So basically, if you talk to people that inflation is their number one concern and they reflect on it as uh, reducing their, basically their standard of living. So uh, people are paying attention to it and uh, um, it's hurting. So this is Jim McAlee. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, you can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 281 Now stay tuned. I'll be right back. Travel on, there's one day here and the next day gone. Sometimes you bend, sometimes you stand, sometimes you turn your back to the wind. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAlee. You can give us a call over our toll free number at 1 888 Hi, Jim. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We did have a call. So Fred wants to know, um, he is turning 71 in December. So happy birthday to Fred. Happy birthday. (laughs) Every birthday is a good one, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But Fred's got a great question. He wants to know, how do I do... um, required minimum distributions. He wants to know how he does that. And will, yeah, what's the process? And he wants to know, will his um, company, will they tell him what to do and walk him through the process? Or is he kind of on his own? Okay. Uh, No, you're not on your own. Uh, Yeah, if you've got, uh, uh, if you're, if you got money in any financial institution, be it a bank, uh, a mutual fund, a brokerage account, things of this nature, uh, they're going to walk you through uh, how to take your required minimum distributions and, and basically tell you uh, what that required minimum distribution is. And it won't be it won't be difficult. It's a fairly simple operation, and a lot of times people feel that. Oh Lord, this is something new. I've been um, investing in this uh, 401k or IRA or 403b or all these retirement accounts, and they all have the required minimum distributions when you become 72. And but it's not the end of the world, is because all the government's saying is that uh, hey, we let you put money into these accounts and. Uh, what we want to do is get our tax money out of these accounts. You know, we don't want to let you live 
until you're 105 years old before we get our taxes. So what we want to do is start taking our, uh, getting our taxes when you become 72 and uh, we'll get a little bit each year until you pass away. So, uh, and it's not like you uh, uh, have to take it. You have to take the money out and, Generally, the financial institution will ask you, uh, how much do you want to set aside for taxes? You know, be it for federal or, or state taxes. And you tell them, well, uh, well, you just take a look at your 1040 from last year. And uh, you say, what am I paying in taxes? You know, your 1040 will show you uh, how much you made and how much you, you owe in taxes. So that lets you determine your tax bracket and uh, or your effective tax rate, and you say, okay, I'm going to get another uh, twenty or thirty thousand dollars that I've got to take out uh, of my required out of my uh, retirement fund. So I guess I got to bump that up by a little bit. So you tell the financial institution, take out, let's say twenty percent, might be ten percent, depending upon what your numbers look like. But you tell them that, and what they'll do is they'll take out the required minimum distribution out of your account, and that uh, required minimum distribution, uh, the way they calculate that is uh, it's kind of like a a life expectancy table. In other words, uh, uh, basically, it boils down to uh, 72 they look it up in a table. Uh, the table's been the same table they've been using for the last uh, several, well, they changed the numbers a little bit, but it's the same concept. What you do is they take you take a look at the amount of money in your retirement account uh, as of the end of the, uh, as of December 31st of the previous year. And then you divide it by a number that kind of represents a life expectancy. Like if you're 72, according to this table, uh, you got 27.4 years left. So you do you take that number that you had in your retirement funds as of the end of last year, and you divide it by 27.4, and that's basically what's that the equivalent of? Let's see, one divided by 27.4. Is uh, 3.65%. Okay, so you're going to take 3.65% of the money out of your uh, retirement fund, and the, the company, the financial institution, is going to ask you to withhold, withhold anything for taxes, and you might say, let's say 20%. So 20% of the uh, money goes off to Uncle Sam or the state, and you got the other 80%. And the question is, what do you want to do with the other 80%? You want to reinvest it? Well, you paid your taxes on it, so you can't, you don't want to put it back into a retirement account. You can put it back into a, uh, a non retirement account or an after tax account. What we call it the Bill Gates account. <laughs> you know, it's it's money that you paid your taxes on, and now you're going to get taxed on any earnings in that new account 
if you make any if you make any earnings in that particular account, they'll be taxed at the usual capital gains taxes. Okay, so you're going to take the money out to three point six five percent out. You pay your 20% of that little about off goes to Uncle Sam and the rest goes into another account. It probably is in the same mutual funds or or ETFs that you had the original retirement money at. So it's not a big thing. Uh, or you can say, oh, I want that money. And, uh, and the, the financial institution will say, well, how do you want it? And... Uh, and you say, well, I want so much a month put into my uh, savings account or checking account. Okay, so you got to go through some paperwork there. And the world, you want a check sent to your house or uh, you want a, a check sent to you uh, rather than so much a month that you just want a, uh, a lump sum put into your uh, bank account. Whatever, you know. So it's not a big thing. It's just the only thing uh, after this operation is done, which the financial institution is very helpful in getting it done, after that's done, you'll be shy the amount that you paid off, paid the uh, government in taxes. That's the only difference. And uh, the, the, uh, the fact that you now have a uh, non-retirement account, and that's subject to the uh, capital gains uh, rules for the uh, earnings in that particular account, and the you'll have your uh, your original uh, retirement account, and uh, and uh, you just go year after year, uh, and you go through this number, and the percentages increase. You know, like I said, when you're seventy-two, it's three point three point six five. By the time you're 85, uh, you look it up on the table, and your life expectancy is another 16 years. Which one divided by 16? Uh, it's 5.25. So the percentage goes up slowly. You know, uh, by the time you get to be 100, uh, you'll probably have to take out about 15 or 20 percent. But to me. As you get older, every year you have to go through this. And you have to get the money out by the end of the year. For instance, you become 72 uh, uh, this year, and you'll be 72 at the end of this year. Uh, You've got to get that money out by December 31st. But there's an exception. If it's your first year that you're taking money out, you you have until April 1st of the following year to get the money out of your, uh, of your accounts. So uh, we always recommend that, hey, you, you, you take the money out. Don't worry about the April 1st. Get it out that year that you become 76, because otherwise, if you wait, then you're going to have to take out two required minimum distributions the, the next year. Okay, so uh, it's rather straightforward. Everybody will help you get it done. And uh, if you're if you don't need if you do need the money, great. You're gonna get you're gonna get the money. If you don't need the money, then the only thing that's gonna be missing at the end of each operation is gonna be that tax money that you held with Helmut and sent off to the federal government. So, and then 
the required minimum distribution is there for, uh, uh, you know, uh, the only thing that if you're working at a company, let's say you're, you're continuing to work at, at say, age 72, which I recommend, uh, you, you look at it, you say, uh, do I have to take the money out of the my 401k with that company? And the answer is generally no. Uh, you keep on working for the company and you you don't have to take your required minimum distributions until you stop working for them. But if you had other 401ks from other places or IRAs, yes, you do. You do have to uh, take the money out of those and say, okay, uh, maybe I got two other accounts or two other retirement accounts. I got to take money out of those, but I don't have to take the money out of the one that's with the company that I'm working for right at the present time. So it's it's fairly simple. Uh, There are certain rules if your spouse is uh, 10 years younger than you, and there are certain rules with regard to, you know, if you pass on. uh, For instance, like most most couples, you know, the beneficiary of your IRA is generally your spouse. And uh, uh, so you pass on and then your spouse uh, uh, has the beneficiary of hers, of the children. So it goes to the children when the surviving spouse dies. And then they have different rules, different rules for them. They get rules that say, okay, uh, you got to, for the surviving, for the children, uh, they got to take it out uh, within 10 years. In other words, they don't have a required minimum distribution. They just have to get the money out of that account. Typically, we recommend that, hey, you take it out in increments, uh, you know, equal increments. So that you don't get involved with a big tax bill when, when the, uh, yeah, at the end of the 10 years, when you got to dump the whole thing out. Uh, so that it's it's simple. Uh, it's not simple to think about it, but when you start doing it, you'll do it. There'll be a lot of help from your financial institutions, and you'll be doing the same thing year after year after year. So there won't be any new experience each year, uh, new hoops to jump through, anything like that. So. I, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> answers your question. The important thing is that hey, it is a method by which you can save your money. And most people, when they take a look at their 401ks and stuff like this, they they say, "Well, I'm just going to go in it for the match," and uh, which I always agree. You know, I always recommend that you put enough money in here. 401k to get the match, but then uh, you're going to have to save. People are going to have to save about 15% of their uh, take-home pay for retirement. That, that's that's a big that's a big amount for most people. But you got to do it if you intend to have a good retirement. So this this is Jim McAlee. Uh, uh, I'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Get This Flow. You know, this is a, this. I wonder, um, how do you gauge your worth? 
I don't, I don't mean your net worth. I don't mean your dollars and cents. But, uh, you know, I'll bet you and everyone, I'll bet you are worth a lot more than you think. You know, you've been, you've been spent our entire, entire life striving to improve ourselves, working hard, you know, and, and educating ourselves and looking for opportunities. And here's a story that shows you that you are worth more than you think. You know, uh, before he died, a father said to his son, here's a watch that your grandfather gave to me. It's almost 200 years old, and before I give it to you, uh, go to the jewelry store downtown and tell them that I want to sell it and see how much they offer you. Well, the son went down to the jewelry store, and he came back to his dad and said, they offered me $150, and they said it was too old. Well, the father said, well, okay, then go to the pawn shop. So... The son went to the pawn shop and came back and told his dad that, hey, the pawn shop only offered me $10 because it looked like it was too worn out. The father asked his son to go to the museum and show them the watch. He went to the museum and came back and said to his father, the curator offered $500,000 for this very rare piece to be included in their precious antique collection. The father said, I wanted to show you that you're in the right place, the right place will value you in the right way. So don't find yourself in the wrong place and don't get angry if you're not valued there. Those who know your value are those who appreciate you. So don't, don't stay in a place where nobody sees your value. So as the time we can take a look at opportunities, and what we need to do is find those opportunities where they value us and stay there. So until we meet again next week for more Get Rich Slow, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, Call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.